0: Hello and welcome to FAA Safety Briefing Live. We're pleased to bring you the January-February edition. I'm Paul Prydecker and
1: okay. I'm Susan Parson. It
0: seems like it worked out that our schedules coincided so that we could do this together. So it's always nice to see you here, Susan.
1: Nice to be here, even in the snow. Even in
0: the snow, of course. And before we get started, as somebody in the industry who depends on the FAA, welcome back.
1: Thank you. It's very good to be back. We 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 missed you.
0: Well, I know that there were certainly some personal consequences for many people involved in in the shutdown and some practical ones as well including this broadcast.
1: Yeah, we've uh, we're we're all still trying to dig out from accumulated emails and uh to to get back on track. And uh, we'll be, you know, we'll be talking about how we're going to go about doing that as we get a little bit further into the broadcast. But we're thrilled to be here and glad that we can bring you the January, February issue while it's still the current one. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Our intention was to do this in the early part of the month of January as our kickoff um, broadcast, but here we are. Life happens. That's right. So, as with all of the FAA safety briefing lives, you are able to earn WINGS credit. And on the dashboard, you can have a look at the various links for WINGS credit. And Susan, you have a hint for how people can get through this.
1: Oh, well, absolutely. Well, we try very hard to cover the material that's in the quiz, which is not a hard quiz. Um, we try to cover most of it in this broadcast, but because we do also try to put a lot of material into the magazine, Um, Our hope is that you will actually download a copy and look at it, and we have an easy link for you on the next slide to tell you how to get a copy of the magazine so that you can download it in whatever format you want or get a hard copy and use that to go through the quiz and get your WINGS credit.
0: And at the very end of the program, we'll discuss about all the sources that FAA Safety Briefing Magazine is available in. I personally like the hard copy because I still like to mark things up as, as I'm going through it. I saw that. Yes, but there are many other options as well. So let's move on and get this program started. Susan, you're the editor of FAA Safety Briefing Magazine and the content is always so appropriate to, to the audience, but tell us a little bit about the, the purpose and the structure and organization.
1: You know, we always have this slide, Paul, just to, to let people know, we're we're not trying to duplicate any of the publications that the community does, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of good material and good approaches out there. What we're looking to do is to be the safety policy voice for non-commercial general aviation, uh, to make you aware of the FA resources, which are available for free, um, to explain uh, things that, that you might not understand. Um, but as much as anything, and this is this is a really big one for me and for any flight instructor, we want to encourage continued training and education in aviation. So we have a purpose for every column. We have a purpose for every issue. And we try to, we try to frame the content so that you actually, uh, one of my colleagues has a wonderful term. He calls it shelf stability, so yeah. that um, the issues we hope can be used as a reference for, uh, for some time to come.
0: Well, and as as we said in the in a later slide, we'll talk about how to uh, access the archived editions Absolutely. because it is a it is an excellent resource to go back and look at the information. So, so let's start out with this edition. There there are seven articles in this edition, all related to ADSB.
1: ADSB. Yeah, this is one that I I think will certainly we hope will be a reference for everybody um, throughout this year. We're going to be focusing a lot on ADSB, um, Automatic Dependent Surveillance Surveillance Broadcast, but it's kind of a mouthful. But I think we're all getting used to saying ADSB, and we're trying to address a lot of the issues. Certainly for the people who haven't equipped yet, but if you have equipped, there's uh, as my flying club has. There's still material here that we hope will be useful to you in uh, learning to use the equipment and making sure that it's working right, because that's important, too.
0: Well, it's a continuous process of checking. Absolutely. Just to make sure that that the installation is done correctly and that it continues to operate without without any malfunctions. So I think it was back in might have been in September of last year. I was at an industry conference and the acting administrator was um, being interviewed. And somebody in the audience uh, discussed the deadline for ADSB, And he made it quite clear that it was not changing. And on the next column, which is the the jump seat column by the um, executive director of flight standards, uh, that's the recurring theme. It's not even even with a government shutdown. It's not changing. There's not a change in the deadline. And what was interesting is that this has been in progress for For 10 years. So on the one hand, you could say, well, it's been a lot of time to get this sorted out. But on the other hand, the technology was still developing and the installation options were still developing. So even though the rulemaking and the initiatives might be Mm -hmm. 10 years, the time to market and the time to install and getting all the loose ends figured out is now closing the gap.
1: Well, it is, and actually, uh, I think a lot of us figured that we hit. We started to hit the sweet spot uh, a couple of years ago, and there's there's a an all, lot of choices out there now for ADSB equipage. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the how to narrow the choices down. What do you have to have, and what do you need to have, and what might you want to have? Um, it's like everything else. If you can, um, if I win the lottery, there's all sorts of stuff I'm planning to buy. Yeah, of course, course. but. Um, yeah there there's there's a way to equip legally um that should be okay for pretty much every budget nowadays so um we we really will be focusing hard in the year to come over the fact that adsB uh, equipage deadline is coming so please please um please get on with it and you'll be glad you did
0: well, certainly it's all about safety and it's all about and safety. and just for our viewers, we're really discussing. What has to be done is ADSB out, and there could be an option for ADSB in depending on your individual needs. And can you just run us through the difference real quick as a as a primer?
1: Um, well, ADSB out is the broadcast that's required, and that's to make sure that you can be seen by other aircraft. But ADSB in is optional. Um, lots of ways to get that certified, non-certified, mm-hmm. um, but but it's optional. in either case. But obviously, it's one of the things that I think um, the framers of the rule were thinking that the ADSBN would be the the thing that pilots benefit from the most. And and frankly, sure. uh, as as an aircraft owner who's equipped, I can attest to that. And we'll we'll have some stories for you a little bit later.
0: Well, that that's what this is about because we we learn by experience yep. and. There, one thing that I think people need to understand is there is not a one-size-fits-all solution for everybody. Everybody's uh, type of flying is different, their style of flying, their aircraft, uh, their budget considerations. So the purpose of these articles is to really give a kind of a broad overview about what's possible and what the pros and cons are of each of each option. So we'll get on to the first article. Um, Time to move, why EDSB matters. It's, it's one of your articles. And you create a, or you quoted an interesting term, status quo bias. bias. Yes. So, how does that apply?
1: Well, um, it's, it's a funny thing. Human beings are very resistant to change. Um, and one of the points that I'm making is <laughs> that when I was thinking about it, um, pi- pilots, we aviators, we're so accustomed to a very fast pace of change in pretty much everything in aviation, and we like it because oh my goodness, you know, when I was learning to fly, which wasn't that long ago, uh, we had VOR and NDB and now who flies without GPS? And those are, I mean, they're they're just, they're, they're constantly changes, but we all seem to want to keep things the same but make them better all the time, too.
0: Well, when I was Reflecting on the, on the phrase status quo bias, I reflected on another way of l- looking at that, and it's um, corporate inertia. Okay. Um, been, the government yeah. wouldn't know
1: yeah. anything about that. No,
0: of course not. <laughs> no, But in the article, you, you referenced the, the pace of technology. Mm-hmm. And like yourself, it was not that long ago that I was teaching people how to work with NDB and ADF approaches. And coming up with things like, well, when the angle of incidence equals the relative bearing, you're on course, turn inbound, and what was the other one, pull the tail, push the head, I mean, all these things.
1: That's so last century. Yeah,
0: I know that, but it actually was not that long ago that we were dealing with this, and quite honestly, now, if somebody said to me, you know, go out and fly this NDB approach, I think I would just reach up and squawk (laughs) 7,700. But yeah. the technology has moved on. Um, like you said, VORs, but now many of the ground-based navigation aids like VORs are going away. GPS is something special. ADS-B is a function of that. Mm-hmm. So it, it is time to move. And although as a group we might be resistant to change, we, as you said, we always expect things to be better.
1: Well, and this is better um, there, particularly as we're going to talk about. I, well, even if you don't do the ADSBN, and again, there are lots of options, certified and non-certified. Even if you choose not to do that, everybody is still safer because we've upgraded the surveillance system, the ability to see and avoid and be seen. Um, so, even let's just say if you decide not to do anything other than your Mark II eyeballs, which is still uh, mm-hmm. important to see other traffic, the fact that they can see you is pretty important too.
0: Of course. I mean, it certainly helps air traffic controllers. It helps you see other traffic. Um, there's some significant Mm -hmm. advantages. And in a, in another article, you make a very good case about a a flight school who did a very thorough cost benefit analysis about it.
1: Let's get into that one
0: before we do. Ah. uh, Sorry. Um, There is a very good graphic in the article on time to move that looks at the airspace requirements. I mean, it can basically be summarized as if you need a transponder, then you you probably need ADS-B. ADS-B out, yes. Um, So that there's a very good graphic that talks about um, the airspace construction when it's needed and it's followed up with a table. So for kind of a simple overview, uh, it's a good place to start. The, the next article though, um, is the in thing in mm-hmm. aviation safety? So we all know that ADS-B out is required, mm-hmm. ADS-B in is optional. What what would be some of the choices that people might make, and what what are the benefits
1: uh, for for ADS-B in? Uh, we we go through some of the things here. Uh, there, well, we talked about certified and non-certified, but. The thing that that I really found very compelling in this article, I have my own personal experience, but this article talks about how a flight school and a major company both use ADSBN. They they chose to equip, they made the investment, and the benefits that they're getting from doing so are very significant. Uh, When I think about the flight schools that I've worked for and been around and how crowded the airspace is, if you have the ability to see everybody else who's out there and what they're doing, um, oh my goodness, it just makes such a difference in your situational awareness.
0: Well, I've, I've instructed at both, you know, the non-towered, non-controlled, not so busy airports that can be very busy, and of course, I've instructed in uh, towered, um, mm-hmm. you know, Class C type airports. And just because ATC and you are talking does not necessarily mean you're going to get everything you need in terms of separation and avoidance because ATC's mission is really IFR separation from IFR aircraft. We all remember from our days that VFR aircraft will be separated on a time
1: workload. Workload permitting basis. Yes,
0: Yes, on a workload permitting basis. And most of the time it works fine. But one of the challenges that I think every flight instructor has at one time or another in their career is how do you divide your time between what's going on in yes. the seat next to you? Now, how do you manage the technology that's also in front of you? And oh, by the way, we need to look outside and be vigilant. And the, the story about Liberty University is really compelling. They they have a fleet of 25 aircraft. They did a cost benefit analysis, even looking at what the benefit of ADSB. In would be in terms of traffic as well as weather and actually making a case for saying, well, we were paying for a satellite service to provide that information. We no longer need to do that because we can use the traffic information and the weather information coming into ADSBN as well as the overall safety factor of just um, having all of the pilots with an extra level of safety while they're doing their... Oh,
1: absolutely! The pilots and the instructors, and one of the things I, I believe it's in in this piece too that somebody makes the point that you know they did the cost benefit analysis and decided that the cost of a single accident was far more than the oh, cost yeah. of equipping the entire fleet. Of course, and um, you know it's it's kind of you, you can't put you can't put numbers on lives and the things that that you can gain, so. But but I thought that was um, I, that sounded like a really compelling argument that they had made in terms of what they were you know, how they were justifying the decision and I, I think with most people if they've decided to do ADSBN in in some fashion there are no regrets at all it's geez why how could I ever live without this
0: well that it's just the technology grows and mm-hmm. it, again its main benefit is safety absolutely um, and even the article about the um, company that flies the blimps mm-hmm. when i first yeah. looked at that i thought they're slow moving why is it a big <laughs> issue and then of course the article goes on to say that well they're over stadiums mm-hmm. sporting events often down low mm-hmm. and yes they have a need for it as well because of the type of uh, flying that they're they're involved That's in true. they might you know, be orbiting a a sporting event that might be also with banner towers and other people involved. Um, It never really occurred to me that, you know, that would have that uh, adaptation to airship um, operations as well. But again, um, this this article makes a very good case for why they went that way as well.
1: And there are lots more stories out there. We just picked a couple for this um, to, to illustrate that that the end thing is a pretty cool thing.
0: It is. The the next article is a fun one, um, Clearing the Crypto Fog. And it's it's all about some of the terminology um, that we discuss as we discuss ATSB in or out. And what are some of the options? Um, Again, as I was reading this, I I learned something that maybe I knew, but the, the article made it, uh, more obvious and that is well what's wrong with radar and there's nothing wrong with radar of course but there is a compromise between the radar mm-hmm. sweep frequency and the effective range and that, that does take time mm-hmm. whereas the update and input times for adsb are about every second
1: mm-hmm. About every second. The other thing is that uh, because there is the difference between satellite-based and land-based, there's a big difference in mm-hmm. where you can be seen. So
0: Sure. And other things um, that are outlined in this is about the frequencies that ADS-B will operate on. There's pros and cons to both. And the article makes um, a very good use of another kind of a flow chart that I would encourage all of you to look at. Basically, it's called "Do I Need to Equip," and it takes you through a flowchart decision tree. Mm-hmm. That, based on your style of flying, you should be able to come up with, mm-hmm. you know, the correct answers. Um, the other things that were interesting too was um, each band, each frequency—the nine seventy-eight or the ten ninety ES—has its mm-hmm. um, benefits, pros and cons. Dual band installations are the kind of best of both worlds, but come at some cost. Um, but the one thing that uh, I learned in this was that the one that's probably most common for the type of flying that you and I might do, um, you're able to input the weather through Mm -hmm. FISB. The other band, which has more flexibility, doesn't have that option, which is why some of the uh, aviation manufacturers and avionics people have made the dual band so that you get the benefits of both.
1: Yeah. The author of this piece is one of our staff writers. He he did a lot of work uh, when he talked about when I first saw the title of it, I thought, crypto. fog oh, goodness. But, yeah, ADSB is a bit of a mouthful. And when we talk about UAT and 1090, 1090 extended ES. squitter and all of the terms that get them, that, it, it, it really can be a little confusing. So I think he's done a really nice job in breaking it down. But um, I did not even know
0: what a squitter was. I do. And for, for our audiences, a, a squitter is the opposite of a squawk. So rather than a squawk interrogating and responding the squitter is automatically just transmitting was
1: automatically transmitting mm-hmm. so so there's some definitions there there's some clever uh, subheads to to get to the fact that one one of them is um it it also goes through some of the options that you have for trying to determine how to equip um you can do a dual band you could do this you could do that so um, it just it it really discusses some of the options that are available to you, and between that and the equipment chart, our hope is that it will help you work through if you haven't equipped what it is that uh, would be most appropriate to your circumstances.
0: And of course, another another option to get ADSB in that's uh, commercially available from several places is a separate um, ADSB GPS sensor which inputs into your tablet, mm-hmm. a Surface or an mm-hmm. iPad. And although, you know, one downside of that might be that it's not completely integrated into your complete avionics, I've seen a lot of really good installations of people mounting their iPads mm-hmm. and using them as an integral part of their, their display. That would and be it, <laughs> and, it, and of course, there are some cost savings in that. Right. So even, mm-hmm. even that's an option. So... That was the, the crypto fog was, I think, one of the ones I enjoyed the most because it did clear up a little bit of the, the terminology mm-hmm. for me. But I really like the flow chart. I mean, you can discuss with somebody, well, you need to do this. But when you kind of see it in a, in a well flow flowchart with a, a bit of a decision mm-hmm. tree, it takes a bit of the, the guesswork out of it.
1: Yeah, our, our team uh, put a lot of work into trying to simplify, demystify all the things because... Um, as, as, I think most of you are aware, uh, all of us fly, everybody on the magazine staff, uh, flies. Uh, we've got a couple of people who are dual qualified. One is, uh, an AMT, a maintenance mm-hmm. technician, as well as a pilot. So we, we, we are part of the community that we're trying to serve. And we want to make sure that we help people who are like us figure things out. So that's the goal.
0: It seems to work on the next article. Um, is my ads b broadcasting me? I learned a term about non-performing Inmitters. emitters.
1: Yes, NPEs, non-performing emitters. Yes. And in an
0: earlier discussion, I've heard a story from you that maybe yes. you fell into that category. We
1: did. Yes. So, so what is
0: a non-performing emitter?
1: A non-performing emitter basically means that your ADS-B out is not emitting the signals that it should be and that you're not, uh, it's not performing the way that it should. Um, So so the term is actually pretty accurate. And how
0: would you know that that's occurred?
1: So we we talk about here, and we're going to mention this in several articles. Um, I, I use the acronym PAPER. Um, which is the uh, public ADSB performance report, free. You can do it anytime, as many times as you want. Um, that's one of the ways that you would know. But the, the story that I was telling Paul as we were getting ready for this broadcast, um, my flying club equipped with ADSB a couple of years ago.
0: In, in and uh, out, uh, out?
1: We have certified out, and mm-hmm. we have a uh, bring your own device kind of version of, mm-hmm. of, of um, ADSB in. But uh, we had run all the reports when at the, at the time that we did the installation. But um, one of the things that happened a few months ago is we get an email from the FAA. I work for the FAA, of course, but, but from a different part of the FAA, um, sending an email to the flying club saying, hey, uh, your ADSB is not performing correctly. Please contact us. So one of our members did that. And... Uh, they they talked about what was working, what wasn't. So we went to the installer and also to the literature that came. You know, sometimes you just have to read the directions. Surprisingly, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but we we also looked at the paperwork, the documentation that came with our ADSB ALP transponder, and it turned out that there were there were some operator errors on our part. It wasn't in our case an installation error. So we have educated the people in our club about which buttons to use and which ones not to use. But, uh, and, and I think that, that has certainly solved the problem. Um, the, the article makes the point, too, and I can attest to this from personal experience now, that, that when the FAA approaches you and says, hey, you have a non-performing emitter or that we need to talk to you about your ADS-B, this is not uh, um, any kind of you're, – you're not in trouble the point is, uh, we in the FAA are monitoring the performance of ADSB and we want to help everybody make sure that their systems are functioning properly. So if you get one of those reports, um, just figure out what's going on, um, and then it's not a bad idea at all to periodically go in and run one of these reports, the paper, to see, to make sure everything is still on track.
0: So if you, if you get a letter from the FAA discussing this, do you have some time limit on when you have to try to deal with it or, or fix it?
1: Well, um, I, at this point, uh, yeah, I don't think there is a time limit. I'm not sure that there's particularly one that's going to be set. But on the other hand, you don't want to be going around forever with it. Um, I, I think at this point, again, it's just um, we recognize that that this is new equipment for pilots. And in many cases, especially with earlier installations, it was new for installers, too. So there were a lot of things that um, I I think that as installers have gotten more familiar with the different possibilities and different types of equipment that some of the mistakes that we saw earlier are not as common now.
0: Well, the other thing that I that I read in this article was that the number of non-performing emitters Mm -hmm. has gone down since. 2017. Mm-hmm. And the connection is is that during the 2016-2017 period was when there was the $500 rebate. Yeah. Right. And as a condition of getting right. the rebate, you have to have a flight test after the installation to make sure everything is correct. Mm-hmm. So those people who benefited from the $500 rebate also benefited by knowing that their system was okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't relieve op- aircraft owners and operators from again, checking it from time to time, because there, things can happen.
1: Yeah, well, things can happen. So we certainly encourage everybody to, um, everybody who's equipped, and, and my club has learned this, that periodically we'll just go run a report and see how we're doing. But um, we we do know that there are, the people who are monitoring ADSB performance will also reach out and let you know, hey, you have an issue here, and you need to resolve that, so that we can all continue to see and be seen with all available means.
0: And the magazine lists the address yes. for somebody to, to be able to do that. It sounds like it's rather simple. Yes. Um, you can have a report very quickly. It's free. Yes. Um, it's a good service to, to preserve the integrity of your system.
1: It's quick, it's free, and you can do it as many times as you want and as often as you want.
0: It sounds like a good deal. That's a good deal. <laughs> okay, good. Um, your next article, which you, you authored, is um, in the checklist column. It says, Equipment without tripping. It's always nice, kind of rhymey things you do.
1: I can't help it. I know.
0: So, what are, what are your suggestions about how to get through this without um, a lot of struggle?
1: Um, Well, I think this is the article where I talk about a book that I said I was going to read and for the record, I've actually read it. Mm -hmm. It's called The Paradox of Choice. And it is about how difficult it is for the book is about how difficult it is for human beings when you have, oh, I think it starts out with something like you go to the grocery store and there. are Seventeen different varieties of mustard.
0: Well, I deal with that all the time. I mean, the cereal aisle is a <laughs> is a, a challenge. But a even minefield. but even going to Starbucks, I mean, sometimes I just want coffee, and you know? you, people look surprised that I just want black coffee. That's all, nothing like me, in it. I
1: was surprised when that's what you asked me yeah, for.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but we, we are in a, a certainly a world of choice, and that yeah. is part of the it is part of the technology advantage, but also the disadvantage because. Many people have spent hours and hours and hours trying to sort this out and come to the conclusion that they're quite not quite sure what to do. But there are some mechanisms to kind of smooth the process.
1: Well, there are. And um, one of the things that we wanted to do in this article, and you'll see in the shaded box at the bottom, there's a list of, of web resources that you have, all free, all available on the FAA webpage, to, again, to help you work through the choices that, that you have. Um, there, One of the links goes to a site that actually I didn't know existed myself, but I, I really thought it was fabulous because you can put in what kind of airplane you have mm-hmm. and, and find you can go find the sorts of equipment that have been certified for your particular airplane.
0: In fact, I think last year at EAA, mm-hmm. you and I were doing a, a presentation at the FAA safety building and the topic was ADS-B and one of our people on the panel mm-hmm. actually brought up the web website and a gentleman in the audience said, well, this is what I have and typed it in and mm-hmm. saw what was possible.
1: And yeah. And, and, that, a, and the
0: list is growing, of course.
1: And and the list is growing. the, the um, one of the points in the book, which I read after I, I, you know, I came across it when I was writing the article and I thought, Oh, I need to read that. And I did. Um, one of the issues that some people have is that you want the very best choice. We all want the best that we can possibly get, but In a world full of choices, and ADSB is certainly one of them, there's simply no way that you're going to get the very best choice, probably because technology changes and the second you put something in, there's going to be something better. So the book talks about a concept called satisficing, which is suffice and being satisfied with the, the best that you can come up with under a given set of circumstances. And I think some of the resources that we're pointing to here are intended to help you, again, work through and figure out, given this, these circumstances, this time, this budget, you know, this airplane, what, what's the best, what, what's the, the most reasonable thing that I can do?
0: And of course, there's no sh- shortage of information from chat groups, type clubs, Absolutely. owners, associations. Um, I mean, our friend, Mike, who equipped his mm-hmm. his Bonanza with ADSB Everything. in and out and <laughs> some other things. I know he spent a long time researching, but mm-hmm. uh, he went to the American Bonanza Society and saw what some other people were doing there. So those are options to you because if you're an aircraft owner or a user, there are type clubs, there's owners associations, there's user groups, there's many things on different forms, but it all comes down to your own choice what might work for your buddy may not work for you. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think these four websites that you listed at the bottom of the, um, of this article, I think are really key to get in first. Uh, It'll help you get into the right direction and then you can move on from there.
1: Yeah, sometimes, and one of the things that the paradox of choice mentions is a book, and I think this is true for anything when you're trying to make a decision. Sometimes if you start by eliminating what doesn't work, then you have a better universe. You have a universe of things to, to look at that's a little bit more manageable than those 17 different bottles of mayonnaise or
0: mm-hmm.
1: are the how many cereals were there? I don't know. That's hundreds. Hundreds.
0: And you, another term that you use in the article is analysis paralysis, yes. which I'm, I'm guilty of. I can overthink quite a few things. No, really? Really, I can. Um, but You don't have to do that. And what was the expression we used yesterday about perfect and good?
1: Oh, never. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. That's it.
0: Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I I think that's a good way of summarizing this. Mm -hmm. Also remembering that technology will change and you cannot possibly keep up.
1: Yep. But uh, again, we hope that that these resources will help you um, narrow down the focus to what it is that's going to work for you. And um, and and again, even if you start by eliminating the things that won't work, as in this won't work in my airplane, mm-hmm. then that that gives you a more manageable set to work from.
0: That's great. So let's move on and talk about um, call sign mismatch. Call sign <laughs> <laughs> mismatch. Yeah. What is that? How does that happen?
1: So um, sometimes, I, I think early on, this tended to be um, pr- partly sometimes an installation error because there are all sorts of settings that installers need to configure. Some ADSB units allow the pilot to pilot configure to... the tail number. The bottom line is that wh- for ADSB b to, to function the way it's supposed to, your call sign has to match what you're broadcasting. Yes. And there are cases in which somebody needs to use a or they're they're like, um, what do you well, like
0: it? in your in the article here, it right. talks about Medivac or, medevac lifeguard, or flights. Others,
1: lifeguard flights. Mm-hmm. And some of those companies, they have um, they have installations that will allow the pilot to reset it. another one of the points that we make repeatedly in the, the magazine, including in this article, is know your equipment, know what it can do, what it can't do. Um, use the paper that uh, mm-hmm. free as many times as you want use that report to make sure that things are being broadcast correctly. And, um, but, but more than anything else, just know your equipment. I know that in my club we ours is not terribly complicated equipment, but we've got a lot of different people using it. And if somebody sets something that or, or just hits the wrong button somewhere um these things are possible. And I think one of the issues that we had is at one point, we were not broadcasting our call sign it, we yeah. had a non-performing emitter. that was one issue, but the other was, um, I think for at least once or twice we might have yeah. had a call sign mismatch. so so this is about just making sure that you are broadcasting what you're supposed to be broadcasting.
0: And it can certainly um, be correct at the time after yes. installation, but that doesn't mean it's something can't happen downstream. And, well, and that's
1: what happened on us actually. And so. Getting,
0: getting right. the uh, performance report is a way to prevent that. Of course, ATC is going to tip you off, but then you can follow that up with where did it happen? When did it happen? and right. Maybe make some changes. So call sign mismatch. We like things matched. We do. Good. Um, our next article is about the options for the light sport and experimental market. And there are certainly many options for for this market. Um, tell us about a few.
1: Um, well, there. That, that what I think the the point that we're trying to make here is that, yeah, in most cases, and to go back to what you said earlier, if you have a transponder today, mm-hmm. you're going to need ADSB out. So, Light Sport does have options, and in some ways, uh, the Light Sport and Experimental market, you have a lot more flexibility simply because um, that's the nature of those airplanes. But we make the point in here that what you get needs to be able to perform according to the TSO. Code, yes, absolutely. And that you, you just need to explore. Again, th- this is another case where you can probably eliminate some things that don't work or that you don't want or that you don't need. But um, the resources that we've pointed out and some of the things that are discussed in more detail in this article – will help you figure out what is the most appropriate thing if you're doing light sport or experimental.
0: So always some options. And in some ways, even even more choices and more decisions to make if you're in, in that type of aircraft.
1: It just has to be able to perform the way that uh, that it's, it's supposed to because otherwise, sure. why, why would you have it?
0: Yeah. Uh, the next article is about money. Yes. Uh, show me the money. And the gentleman within your organization who does all of your social media, Paul Sanciola, has written mm-hmm. a nice, nice article. The rebate is back. And what are some of the details of that?
1: Well, we give you um, and this uh, the, the graphics here, we've color coded everything. So if you follow the headlines um, uh, that for each color band, you'll know exactly what you're supposed to do. Um, And the steps are, the the major steps are listed here on this page. Decide what you want, uh, reserve Reserve. your rebate, um, then install the equipment, fly and validate. That's important. That's where the paper report is important. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some tips in there about how to do the validation flight. Um, And then claim your rebate. Uh, I know that uh, there are some people who missed out on the earlier rebate. And my flying club is one of them. Sadly, we we had to equip sooner. We had to equip before the first rebate, and we had already equipped before the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, so timing is everything. Timing is everything, <laughs> and we weren't quite on it. And uh, I know that's a frustration to some people. Um, I don't make those decisions, but I know that if you haven't equipped yet and you still need to do that, the rebate's available, so go
0: for it. And the important thing, part of the deadline that uh, you mentioned is that it's going to run until about mid-October of mm-hmm. 2019 mm-hmm. or until the funds run out.
1: Or until the funds run out. So. so we're, we're trying to make sure that people have every incentive if you haven't equipped to get it done before the deadline. The other thing, the other well, one of the many reasons to get it done is that installation pipelines Build up. You can buy the equipment, sure. but getting an installer and getting it put in can take some time. So, um,
0: and I don't think I talked to anybody who has installed any variety of ADSB that hasn't made the comment. It took a little longer than we thought.
1: It always does.
0: <laughs> so that, that has to be factored in.
1: It all, yeah. Um, and so one of the things about picking what you want and setting your installation date. Um, I have a friend who equipped a couple of years ago, but uh, had to schedule for several months out because it was a pretty busy shop. They did Mm -hmm. a lot of work and Mm -hmm. they just couldn't slot that airplane in any sooner.
0: So let's move on to another topic, which is certainly pertinent to our discussion here. And that is what about drones?
1: What about drones?
0: Um, They're part of the national airspace system. They're increasing in numbers and how does, adsb relate to unmanned
1: well a lot of that is still being determined mm-hmm. uh, obviously that uh we need to figure out how to do that and when the FAA is trying to make rules or in some cases uh something less than rules one of the things that we do and you're familiar with that because you've served on them before is aviation rulemaking committee
0: an arc yes. an arc
1: uh-huh. uh, we call it an arc and that's so- just another tla which is
0: three letter acronym.
1: Oh, right. We have lots. (laughs) Good. Um, yes. Um, our, our aviation rulemaking committees are about, it's, it's the legally sanctioned way for the FAA or other agent, you know, the FAA to Mm -hmm. get recommendations from the community, from the people who are out there on the front lines. So we've put together an arc to look at uh, remote ID and how, uh, what they they're calling um, universal um, traffic? Uh, no, uh, yeah, unmanned traffic. Unmanned management. traffic management. Sorry, sorry mm-hmm. to say universal because it is it does need to be universal. But unmanned traffic management. A lot of systems, a lot of things are in play. But as this article discusses, um, we haven't forgotten about drones. It really is important to make sure that um, they can be seen as well. Well, um,
0: one of the key parts of, uh, points of the article is that whatever the solution is has to take into consideration the available bandwidth of the present system because it will in some parts of the country in impose you know more bandwidth demands on the system
1: well yes because um there are there are an awful lot of drones out there yes and it's a number that's growing so um, and just to, to remind people, if you, you haven't looked at the magazine for a while, Drone Debrief is a relatively new department, mm-hmm. regular department. It debuted a couple of issues ago because what we are very much trying to do with this publication is is to, um, well, to, to serve the entire community and remote pilots, because that's what they are. Remote pilots mm-hmm. are pilots. They are part of the community. Mm -hmm. And we want to welcome them in and help them to integrate into the manned airspace community that's been around longer.
0: Sure. Let's move on to nuts, bolts, and electrons, which is frequently reserved for what I would call maintenance type issues. But in this case, it's more about how do we get our installation done accurately. And from the installation standpoint, there are three, and as you pointed out earlier, four things. Mm that are required. Uh, the first one is the emitter category, which uh, is making sure that the installer recognizes the type of aircraft we are according to weight and that that gets configured. And then what else?
1: Um, well, what? there's the, the uh, verify the flight identification. We, we talked earlier about call mm-hmm. sign mismatch. So mm-hmm. the, all of that has to be set. There's an ICAO code.
0: Which is a I think it's a 24-digit number. Oh,
1: something like that. It yeah, has to be entered that correctly. It has to be entered correctly, and mm-hmm. then you want to test the system. And here we're going to talk about get the paper again, do the the public b performance report that you can do. Um, but again, th- this is indeed um, aimed at installers. A lot of people have started to get experience with this, but we we had issues at the beginning, particularly with those all, all three of those things that the emitter category. The flight identification and the ICAO codes. In some cases, they they got mixed up. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing would be entered when it should be the other.
0: So, well, just like pilots are learning, installers yeah. are learning.
1: Installers yeah. are learning as well, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think um, we're, we're we for a variety of reasons we're seeing fewer of those mistakes. But um, it, this is even if this uh, column is aimed at maintenance technicians. Um, I'd certainly. We always think that nuts, bolts, and electrons is also for pilots because we need to be informed consumers. That's right. Um, know what questions to ask, um, and this gives you an idea of some of the things that you might ask the installer about, particularly mm-hmm. if if you've discovered that there's an issue. You can say, "Well, did you check this or did you check that?"
0: Of course. So that's good.
1: Being informed as uh, as to maintenance issues is a really good thing.
0: Well, and for. Especially in the experimental market, people are often their own um, mechanic and inspector and familiarity with what's required, um, I think, would help them interface with an avionics shop. Absolutely. Uh, Your colleague Tom Hoffman wrote a nice article on uh, titled Angle of Attack, Mitigating Midairs, and I was intrigued by the subhead, Balancing Biology with Technology. Yes. Of course, I think I know where this is going. Again, as we talked about as instructors, we are always challenged with managing our time inside and outside, and with the implementation of more technology, wondering what's this doing now, or how do we program this, it drives us inside more when we still need to be outside.
1: Well, it does, and uh, the the article, this particular column, cites an NTSB, um, some recommendations about it, it it really comes down to, yes, you, we have technology now that that helps you see traffic better than you could before. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't still be looking outside whenever you can. Um, and the, the point that you make, Paul, about technology, several years ago, I wrote an article about um, the distraction, t- technological distractions. And I don't know that we I don't think we've ever had more mail about a piece than that one. It was it was kind of like the lost art of paying attention, I think, was the title of the piece. And it was I started off with a story about myself and how Mm -hmm. how easily I had found myself getting sucked into looking at the shiny stuff in the panel instead of where I should have been looking. And I had people saying, gee, you know, I'm, I'm printing this out and making all my students read it. I put it in my flight bag. Um, but I, I think this article in the title that the subhead gave it biology and technology, it's just a reminder to all of us that no matter how good your gadgets are, you still need to be paying attention and using your eyes whenever you can.
0: There's always the human element, right? There is always even, the human, element. even in, in my airline environment, two person crew, uh it's not uncommon to see both people with their heads down trying to manage something and they need you know continual reminders that somebody needs to be managing the shop sure and we haven't forgotten helicopters in all of this um in looking at um the vertically speaking column about uh, going all out Mm uh again i learned a few things that it's a benefit of helicopters because of the nature of their operation often down low different kinds of airspace And one of the benefits is compared to radar, ADS-B can look down Mm -hmm. from a mountaintop down, whereas radar doesn't do that.
1: Radar doesn't do that. Yeah, it's also just, uh, uh, again, we try to include everybody in the community and our Rotocraft colleagues are certainly part of it. Um, but it's it's a reminder that, yes, uh, helicopters are also their aircraft that are subject to the ADS beyond rule. Mm-hmm. Here's what what you need when you need it. And uh, here's how you can use it.
0: Yeah, it's a good it's a good article and a good review. Yeah, um, the next article post flight is, again, from from you. And it sounds like it's about a. Uh, event that you had and you know yeah. that may have inspired this
1: this is uh this is where i get to kind of wrap things up and uh, this is one of uh, a follow-up to a personal PI rep that i've done about adsb um, several years ago when we equipped with our adsb out transponder which is what we did um, i wrote about how we had made that decision it kind of boiled down to we wanted certified adsb out for budget as well as other reasons, we decided that we would do ADS-Bn with, um, you know, that's the kind that we can use mm-hmm. on a tablet. So that's what we did, and uh, we were also driven by the fact that our transponder desperately needed replacements. Sure. So a lot of things came together to help us with that decision. But we had, so we had ads out. We're legal with that. But I have discovered, really, with just a couple of flights that ADSBN, however you get it, is worth its weight in gold. And the story that I tell here is how I was out flying with another member of the club. I was and
0: you're in the Washington, DC area. We're in
1: the Washington, yeah. DC area, a very crowded airspace. And we we heard somebody else, we never once saw him with our eyeballs. We could see the tail number. We knew exactly where he was thanks to the ADSBN. Mm-hmm. And he was doing the same thing we were doing. We were practicing instrument approaches, and hopefully, it sounded like there were two people in the airplane. So they they had somebody who should have been looking outside, but never once did this other airplane show any indication that they knew we were there. Never mind that mm-hmm. we were transmitting. Mm-hmm. And you know, you never know. But I've, I've we she the other pilot and I we still talk about the fact that. You know, uh, ADS-B may have saved us that day simply because we knew the other airplane was there. We knew what they were doing. And we just decided, okay, fine, we'll get out of the way. And we'll come back and try the approach again when the sure. other person's gone. Sure. So it is, um, I, I've gotten to the point that I don't <laughs> like to fly if I don't have ADSB in information. I, I, mm-hmm. I want to I have that somehow just as an extra backup to the old eyeballs.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, FAA Faces uh, is about aviation safety inspector uh, Paul Van Holm, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I saw there was how much he's done to bring other weather products into yes. FISB. And again, it just shows growth in in the technology available and the contributions he's made.
1: Yeah, we always try in FAA Faces we're trying to introduce um, the people behind the bureaucracy and mm-hmm. the the people that we choose. Uh, we always try to get somebody who's consistent, who who works somehow aligns with whatever the theme of the issue is, and in this case, it also it highlights the person uh, who's been very much involved in next gen ADSB and as you pointed out, weather. But it also talks about the the part of the FAA, the Flight Standards Service, um, Flight Technologies and Procedures Division, that really does the the heavy lifting and the kind of work that. Um, you may not know what's going on or what it's its one of those invisible things, except if they don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the work that they do becomes very visible to all of us. So we like being able to introduce some of our colleagues um, and what they do and what they and their offices do to promote safety for all of us.
0: Well, and as you said, there's so much going on behind the scenes. Yes, yes for sure. Um, a standard uh, article and standard column in the magazine is um, Aeromedical advisory, mm-hmm. and the um, Federal air surgeon Mike Berry, is writing this, and he he brings up interesting things about pilots who would just like to have a list of drugs and say, what what can I fly and not fly with and it's it's not that simple.
1: it's yeah, it's not, but uh, they the, the, one of the points that the article <laughs> makes is that the uh, the folks in the Aeromedical certification area, They recognize that um, uh, there's there's a lot of interest in this information, and they talk about some of the things that they're trying to do to uh, raise the level of awareness and Mm -hmm. to provide more information for pilots to
0: use. Well, and certainly the the challenge, I'm sure, from the AME standpoint is keeping up with all the new medications that are available. Absolutely. the fact that you can't just give somebody a list because it doesn't address the possible interactions that one drug may have Mm -hmm. with another. All of this boils down to, it's an interesting idea. However, um, it's really up to the, uh, your regional um, flight surgeon or your AME if you -hmm. have questions.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, the other thing that they (laughs) want to look at is the underlying condition. So
0: um,
1: lots, um, but But I I really want to make the point that they stress in here how they are working to provide more information Mm -hmm. and more resources to help pilots figure out what works and what doesn't.
0: And the uh, next article about specific conditions is uh, condition inspection. And it, it seems appropriate for this article in this magazine because if you spend a lot of time analyzing what you may need for ADSP, you will have a headache, <laughs> um, which is what this is about. Although this is about um, migraines, which affect um, a good percentage of the population, some are able to manage it well; others not as well, depending on the medication needs that they require. But it is a very good summary of people who deal with migraines and what some of the the um, availability available solutions are yep, and what the qualifications are in terms of if you're on this medication, how long can you uh, have to be offline? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's one of the more informative articles about specific um, medical situations mm-hmm. that I know a lot of people are dealing with. And as a wrap up, um, we have ADIS, which is kind of a summary of news things. The The, the few that I noticed were Um, the NTSB talking about issues with fuel selectors. Um, There's Mm -hmm. changes in FERCs. uh, for
1: instructor, refresher clinics, yep. Which
0: focus now on airman certification standards Mm -hmm. as well as um, drone operations. And talking about PIREP initiatives, uh, trying to get the community to offer up more PIREPs, either through the traditional ways of ATC or also through some of the electronic mechanisms of giving PIREPs.
1: Yeah, what we try to do in ATIS um, is just to give you a, a snapshot of some of the information out there. A lot of the articles they have links to other sources, mm-hmm. so if you're looking for more information, um, you can get it. But but this was kind of where years ago we called the magazine the FA Aviation News, and we started calling it something different for a lot of reasons. But you know, news. Th- this is this, news. is this is this yeah. is our news section still. And
0: and the bullet point in the middle. Which is all important is the report that there's a been a decrease in um, GA fatalities, which is a very good thing.
1: That is a very good thing.
0: Very good. So we talked earlier in the in the broadcast about different mechanisms, different places to find FAA uh, safety briefing magazine. Um, run us through that was about what's up what's available well there's
1: the paper copy if you want to subscribe through GPO uh, the government printing office Uh, most of the paper copies do have a uh, an insert in there where you can order it that way or you can follow the links here Um, There are also copies usually at uh, air shows and other places that you can pick up for free. We we try to make sure that they're available. And you will see lots of copies of this issue if you're going to Sun and Fun. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, We will be certainly promoting this issue pretty heavily at that event, which is coming up pretty soon. Yes, it is. Um, We have it available for download for free in a variety of uh, formats. Mm -hmm. And I know you're a paper person, but I'm a tablet person. So I I download mine.
0: Yeah, I, I live in both worlds, depending okay. on what I'm doing. If I'm on an airplane, the tablet works well. Yep. If I'm sitting at home, I, I like it to pick up a real book or a real magazine. So it's kind of living in both well,
1: worlds. Well, just as with so many other things, you have choices. That's right. And you, I
0: sometimes get paralyzed by them. Okay, so. <laughs>
1: well, just pick one and read.
0: <laughs> Good. These are archived. They are. And... Where where would somebody go to get the archives? On
1: the page you were just looking at, if you just scroll down, uh-huh. um, it will show you what the archives. This one, uh, we just try to keep this as a, a little bit of a running summary of some of the topics that we've addressed and some of the things that you might want to go look at. There's, We have a, a basic med issue that's still got a lot of great information. Um, we talked about a couple of issues ago, we talked about the Kaleidoscope community, some of the organizations that you can be part of um so you you have a lot of possibilities here and we hope that people will go and use the archived issues um for continued training education information whatever you need
0: it's perfect and i know that you get feedback we do um in fact in the magazine itself there are some people who have written in commenting on various issues and um, I saw some favorable comments in print about the uh, Casablanca themed issue that we did, did some time yes. ago. We had a lot of fun doing we that did. one. But how, how will somebody uh, send you some feedback?
1: Variety of ways. You can uh, scan the QR code. You can write to us, safetybriefing at fa.gov. Um, there, you can interact with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, variety mm-hmm. of, of ways. And you will get an answer. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we sometimes uh, there, there are occasions when people ask sensitive questions, but we do respond.
0: Very good. Okay. And the next issue.
1: Well, the next issue. um, So this is a good time to say, unfortunately, because of the lengthy uh, shutdown, we had to reconfigure our editorial calendar. So what we've decided to do for a variety of reasons, including the fact that we want to really get everybody focused on ADSB. Mm -hmm. We're going to have the January, February issue that we've just been talking about will be the focus issue for Sun and Fun coming up. And we're going to shift our planned content uh, from March, April to May, June. We're going to be talking about um, the options that you have for certification nowadays for airplanes. Uh, The part 23, new part 23. We'll talk about non-required safety enhancing equipment, the North Sea policy. Uh, We'll be talking about consensus standards. There's a lot of material there that will help you work through choices if you're an aircraft owner operator and looking for ways to either buy an airplane or build Mm -hmm. one or to um, equip what you've got.
0: Let's have one last look at the WINGS um, programs. The dashboard is here to help you get WINGS credit.
1: Please do that.
0: And also the um, link to the print copy. Right there. So. That's been a information packed issue. Indeed. I learned a lot about ADSB as I was reading through it, and
1: um, we hope that our audience will as well. And uh, go if you if you have equipped, please take a look at a couple of the, of the articles in there that are uh, meant for you both now and in the future. And uh, if you haven't equipped, uh, go forth.
0: Susan, it's nice to work with you again. Always welcome back. I'm glad to Thank see you. you in the system. And for everybody, thanks for joining us. We'll see you in May. We'll be back in May.